Hello and welcome to the She Reads Truth Podcast, where we open our Bibles and talk about the beauty, goodness, and truth we find there. I'm your host, Rachel Myers. And I'm your other host, Amanda Bible-Williams. And today we are beginning our two-week Hosea series. We are going to read the book of Hosea together. And today's guest, you all, it is none other than the one and only Francine Rivers. That's right. Francine Rivers is a New York Times bestselling author of many, many books, including Redeeming Love, which is based on the book of Hosea. Other books include A Voice in the Wind, The Masterpiece. She's written a lot of books, you guys. And one of our favorite things about Francine is that she and her husband lead a Bible study in their home and have for 30 years, the same group. It's incredible. We loved opening this specific book of the Bible with her and hearing about her rich experience with this book over the years. Um, and she also gives us some insight into some upcoming projects that she has coming. We'll talk about that toward the end of the episode. You're going to want to stick around for that. So without further ado, let's get to it. Francine Rivers, we are so excited to have you on this episode today. Thank you so much for joining us. Oh, it's my pleasure. I love the book of Hosea. <laughs> we um, thought you might. We thought that we had that we had suspicion. <laughs> it has special meaning for me. So, yeah. Oh, I imagine. So, I think I have a suspicion that most of our listeners are familiar with your name and with maybe many of your books, if not many of your books, at least Redeeming Love, which released, I guess, over 30 years ago at that point, which makes me feel old. Huh. Um, is that right, Francine? <laughs> That's right. Yeah. For those of you who do not know about Redeeming Love or Francine Rivers, we're so excited for you to get to meet Francine today and to understand why we really wanted her for this episode. Yeah. The Book of Hosea, which is the the series that we're beginning. It's a two-week series, so, you know, we're going to start and then we're going to stop. It's a short book. It's a short book, mm-hmm. but the Book of Hosea happened to be sort of the source material, the inspiration for a book that Francine wrote about 30 years ago, now over a million copies in print, over 30 languages. And Francine, I would just love as we start this episode, we get to interview a lot of people, but I don't, I think you might be the first fiction author who has used a book of the Bible as source material. Uh So this is kind of unique. I would love to just hear from you for a moment. What sort of led you to the place of writing this book? And specifically, how did your interaction with the book of Hosea kind of bring you to want to write that book? Well, I wrote in the general market for a number of years, steamy historical romances. And then when I became a Christian, I couldn't write at all. And we were, we were doing a home Bible study. We had done, you know, the Gospels and we had done topical studies, but we were also studying the minor prophets. And what struck me is, you know, I had grown up in the church, so I'd heard the Gospel. But there was something about this particular book that really broke through all my walls, that God loves us that much. You know, that it's really about the nation of Israel and how they were turning away to other things, other gods, and and looking for answers elsewhere. And I thought, well, that's true of me and a lot of my life. You know, that we, a lot of times we want a savior, but we don't want a Lord. So this this really changed my whole outlook on God and really was the deciding factor in me surrendering lordship to Jesus Christ. Oh, wow. I knew, I, you know, like we said, we had a hunch that the book meant a lot to you, the book yeah. of Hosea, but I don't think that I knew that it was instrumental in God's 
rescue of your heart and your salvation. That's so, what a beautiful testimony. And now to know, Francine, I'm sure you've heard stories over the years from people who, for whom God has used the book of Hosea and via your book to show others that same thing of just how radical His love is for us. Well, I think that, you know, the thing that surprised me is when I originally wrote the book, and I felt from reading Hosea that she was probably very young when she went into prostitution. Mm. And I Mm. was connecting to the times of the 1800s, not realizing that there's sex trafficking going on now. I was just totally ignorant of that 30 years ago. And I was getting letters from people where they they were abused as children, and they ended up in Mm. prostitution, and they were trafficked, and they were survivors. So, it connection, and also people that go through that experience, they feel... They feel unclean. They feel like they're not worthy of God, and they they keep going back and turning back. So that was the surprise for me and how the book was being used in ministries to people that had been victims of sex trafficking. Um, yeah. Someday, you know, God uses things in amazing ways. You just, you, <laughs> I was getting it. It really does. Along the years. To use this book from 30 it. years ago to minister to modern readers, I guess modern readers is the way to say that, but in situations that you didn't even know would be helpful or it would serve. That's beautiful. Yeah. The first time I read the Bible, I read the one-year Bible. And what, what oh, yeah. amazed, you know, what amazed me is, you know, when you're reading the Old Testament, New Testament, Psalms and Proverbs, that you see the connections. For me, it was, it wasn't just reading the different books written by different people. I was hearing one voice through all of it and how it all connects. Yes. And that really blew my mind. So it was, that really helped too. So I've done a little bit of research and I might know that the edition of Redeeming Love that is widely available was not actually the first edition. Is that correct? There is a first edition that didn't have some of the gospel connections that the new one does. Oh, that's a deep dive, Rachel. I'm impressed. Yeah, well, it actually— Okay, tell us us what happened. The original was published by Bantam, and it actually has all the gospel connection and and God speaking and Satan speaking, but it was a little bit more, I don't want to use the word explicit, but more evocative. And there was some language in there that would be very offensive to the Christian market. So I got the rights back. It was published by Bantam. And there happened to be, happened to be, you know how that is, uh, a Christian <laughs> who was an editor at Bantam at the time. And she wanted to bring in Christian fiction into the general market. And so she was there for that particular time and is the one that contracted Redeeming Love, which my original publisher, the editor, she said, oh, this is an allegory about Jesus Christ, and we do not publish books about Jesus Christ. That was the flat-out thing. Wow. But anyway, that was the last book I wrote for the general market, but it's really the same kind of format. It's a steamy historical romance. I mean, there. let's face it, the Bible is R-rated you know, when you read it, you know, there's a lot there's of reading that we were reading some stuff from Ezekiel and we were thinking, wow, that's X-rated when you're thinking about what's happening, what's actually happening with the people and what yeah. they're doing in worshiping their false gods. Mm-hmm. So it was a little bit more racy than the one that's, I was able to go back in and do some editing and soften a few scenes Yeah, for the Christian market. Yeah. 
Well, it's incredible the longevity that the work has had. And there is something, you know, even for those who don't have a part of their story, and I'm thinking, you know, mostly of women, because we are She Reads Truth, and most of our listeners today are women. There are a few guys listening out there. We know you're there. But for those who can't relate specifically to Gomer's story or to to Angel's story in really specific ways, I think we all, like you said, when you first read this book decades ago, first read the book of Hosea, that we all chase after lesser loves. Yes. And whether that is with our physical bodies or whether that is, you know, it can take so many different forms of just the things that we put in place of God, in the places where we put our highest affections. And then the what we know and what we see, not just in Hosea, but in all of the prophets mm-hmm. of the Old Testament, we see what our lesser loves give us in return. Yeah. Yeah. And we see the destruction and the heartache and the misery. And like, you know, like you said, just the stuff that we don't even want to read this stuff yeah. that happens. And that is that is not from a faraway world of biblical times. That's for our right now world. Yeah. That's right. This is why to me that Hosea is so poignant and resonates just so deeply with us is that we we understand this on some level, yeah. and yeah. even if our story looks very different. Yeah. Well, I think when you're reading the Bible, very often it reads like current events. It's yeah. Just, yeah. We, we may not have stone idols set up, but we have plenty of idols. We have plenty of false right. idols. Well, for those who are new to this book of Hosea with us, and you're listening to us today, and first of all, welcome. We're so glad you're here. (laughs) I am thrilled for you to read this book. It is going to have an impact on you, and I can't wait to hear about it. But this book, so Hosea is a minor prophet. That's right. Minor, Rachel, does that mean unimportant? Less important is not what it means. That's right. It means it refers to length, right? So shorter it's a shorter prophet. It's a shorter prophet in the Bible. And then is Hosea is the first of the twelve minor prophets Mm -hmm. in the Old Testament. And prophets were men who were appointed by God to be his spokespeople, you know, to his people, to actually deliver with their mouths. They would deliver messages verbally to their audience. And they were um, like speaking an official, on God's behalf, like an official appointment. Like, That's right. This wasn't it? Wasn't just like um, now. A I prophet. think God wants me to say this. Right. No, it was much clearer and much more formal. You than will that. be a prophet for me. <laughs> That's those, right. Those types of and a lot of the prophets, not all of them, but a lot of the major minor prophets, you'll see, you'll get the record of that calling, which is pretty cool. Yes. Yes. In the case of Hosea, we get sort of a record of the calling, but more a record of well, something that we're about to get into. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Now. They another thing that's helpful to remember. So the prophets, um, and in this case Hosea, he's speaking to God's people, to the nation of Israel, not necessarily saying new things like Israel. Right. As yeah. we were just talking about how we humans easily forget, <laughs> <laughs> Israel is easily forgot their mm-hmm. God and the one who had rescued them and provided for them and led them, and so. The prophets were often reiterating laws that God had long ago established Mm -hmm. and was repeating to them. And also you hear throughout the prophets language of 
of judgment and restoration and just this very clear picture of also of what we were just saying, that when you return to the Lord and walk with Him, that brings life. We just talked about this with the book of Deuteronomy, right? Like that is where flourishing and life reside is when you walk with the Lord. When you turn away from Him and pursue lesser loves and do not obey the law that He has established for our good, Mm -hmm. then that brings destruction and devastation. And so a lot of the messages of the prophets are them just saying that Mm -hmm. over and over and saying, well, this is coming and here's why, but also like a future restoration that is coming. So the thing that we need to also remember and when we read the prophets is that the prophets are always pointing to Jesus. Even if you don't hear his name, if you don't, the prophets are pointing to Jesus. And when it is dark, dark, dark Mm -hmm. (laughs) in what they're saying, that is when the cross of Christ is just larger. (laughs) When we see, when we understand the darkness that we are rescued from spiritually, and even just the darkness, the reality in the world, then we can more clearly see the glory of the cross. So the prophets, to sum it up, are not easy reading. Right. But it's so important, and it's God's Word. I also think they're kind of beautiful reading. Beautiful. A lot of it in verse. Especially in Hosea, there are these moments that are just, you see the Lord's love and faithfulness in contrast to Israel's unfaithfulness in a really stark and beautiful way, which yeah. I think is neat. I So other things that would be like kind of unique about the book of Hosea, there are a couple of different types of speech that the prophets use, and one that's a little bit unique in Hosea is something called the enactment. It's a type of speech, and we actually get that in the first three chapters of Hosea. We get an enactment of something that really did happen. Like, we see this and believe this is history Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. as a part of Hosea, who is a real person, and this was his real story. But he's enacting something as a act of prophecy to show in this small picture what God is communicating to Israel in a bigger picture. Really a living example of what God is trying to teach. Yeah. Almost, I mean, you could almost kind of liken it. They were called to do incredibly difficult things. And it was not an enactment of good, happy times. No, right? Not usually. No. But I think, too, what I got from Hosea is for me, it was the passion, God's passion for his people. And I saw that more, I think, in Hosea than a lot of the other books because it's a love story. It's a love story of redemption. That's Um, such a great point, Francine, because. That's right. Is it's not just a casual, I mean, sure, be my people. It's fine. I'll be your God. That is not what's happening. Yeah, I like that. Mm -hmm. I like that point a lot. I think the first time, one of the first times I read the book of Hosea all the way through, I think I shared this actually on the podcast a couple episodes ago when we were talking about Deuteronomy, but I was looking ahead to Hosea and just sharing that really the book of Hosea was the book for me that gave me the clearest picture I'd ever yet had of how in pursuit of me God is, Mm -hmm. how sort of relentless in His pursuit of me and Israel. I saw that and felt that for the first time in Hosea, which I think is probably one of the reasons I'm so excited about this. Yeah. Well, I think we should read some. Let's read some of this book. Now, the context that Hosea is speaking in, it's like the mid-700s BC. Mm-hmm. Israel's kind of fallen apart. I mean, they've been like had like king after king after king. They are about to fall to Assyria, and God is sending this message 
through the person and the life of Hosea (laughs) for them to stop their idolatry and spiritual promiscuity, if you will, and to return to the Lord. Some fun facts, because you guys know I love timeline fun facts. If Hosea, the events of Hosea took place around 765 to 725 BC. So right before that, like maybe 10 years before that was the first Olympics held in Greece. I love that. I love that. That's so wild. (laughs) But also right at that time, so 760 BC is when Jonah was called to go to Nineveh. Like right within that little window of Hosea's life, also God was calling Jonah to go to Nineveh, and we know how that story went. But contemporaries, complete contemporaries. God is already pursuing the nations. He was pursuing amazing. the other nations all the while pursuing Israel. Yeah. That's a good thing to know and to read as we go into this. Other fun fact, because you know, I love to know how long it takes to read every book of the Bible. Oh, yes. The average reader could sit Which down. Which is not me. I'm slower, but go ahead. Uh, the average reader <laughs> could sit down and have read Hosea, the 14 chapters of Hosea front to back within about 32 minutes. That's very specific. 32, about 32 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I'd that helps me though. I'd be slower, yeah. I'd be slower too. Give me, me an too, hour because I like yeah. to like. I don't know. I go slower too. I truly do. Okay, so the first, like I said, the first three chapters of Hosea are this like picture of Hosea's family life, and that's where we'll spend a lot of our time this week. And then everything after that, there's kind of three more acts within the book of Hosea, but they're all really Hosea talking to Israel and God talking to Israel in this call to repentance. So we'll get to all of that, but the stage that we're setting, of course, is these first three chapters, and this is the enactment that we were talking about. Yeah. So this is what God asks Hosea to do. Francine, would you read that for us from Hosea chapter 1, just verses 2 and 3? When the Lord first began speaking to Israel through Hosea, he said to him, Go and marry a prostitute so that some of her children will be conceived in prostitution. This will illustrate how Israel has acted like a prostitute by turning against the Lord and worshiping other gods. So Hosea married Gomer, the daughter of Dibliam. And she became pregnant and gave Hosea a son. And the Lord said, Name the child Jezreel, for I am about to punish King Jehu's dynasty to avenge the murders he committed at Jezreel. In fact, I will bring an end to Israel's independence. I will break its military power in the Jezreel Valley. So that's the start. It's not like a sighing so loudly after that. What what translation is that, Francine? Oh, I'm using the New Living Translation. Okay, it okay. was different than I what wondered. we had in ours. Oh, yeah. and so it was, I, I've got a couple different versions, but a lot of, like when we're studying, we don't necessarily have people that know Christ or they're early Christians. And this is a, it's an easier version. It's a concept, yes. you know, thought by thought translation rather than a word by word. Nice. But personal yeah. favorite, I think, is uh, New American Standard. But I mean, yeah. yeah, that's the neat thing. I think when you're studying the Bible too. Uh huh. Use one version one year, then use a different version the next year, because you see it in a different way. It brings out other things that you may not have thought about the first time reading through. Absolutely. I noticed that actually a lot in the book of Hosea, because there Uh are some really specific words Uh that kind of change translation to translation. One of the words that you read, um, go and marry, I think it said marry a prostitute. In the ESV, I think it says a woman of whoredom. Uh, oh, yeah, I think it does. Um, right. And then in the CSB, a woman of promiscuity. 
Um, mm-hmm. Like, there's a lot of different yeah. ways. Amanda, what do you know about? Because I know that you, we've like looked into this well, a little promiscuity bit. Promiscuity yeah. would speak more to the culture now, because we I live mean. in a very promiscuous culture, right? Universal, right. Where everything kind of goes, starting in the '60s when it was, you know, free love, which is, you know, love is never free. And the way they're talking, and there's a high cost yeah. to that kind of living of what it does to your soul. Yeah. So I think that's a that would help modern readers understand more. I think of what's going on with the nation of Israel. Yeah, yeah. The Hebrew word, as I understand it, that for for Leave example, it to Amanda to know the Hebrew word. I'm well, so excited. Let's don't be too impressed. We have a really <laughs> smart team of people who help us understand these things. Tell us what we need to help us know what we need to understand. <laughs> yeah. But the word that's used there for promiscuity is pretty broad in what it refers to, and then it, it refers broadly to sex outside of marriage. And so, you know, a lot of translations do translate it as she was a prostitute, like as a profession. It could also be that she was an adulteress. I mean, what we know, it doesn't really change the heart of the story. What's clear is that she had a divided heart and she yeah. was yeah. unfaithful, yes. right? And that's that's, right. that's what God is after here is her heart. When I say her right now, I'm talking about Israel. God is after Israel's heart. Yes. Hosea is after Gomer's heart. That's right. Um, and as an illustration for how God loves His people. And yeah. so, yeah, it's so powerful. I mean, like you said, right after you read that, that's a tough call to receive. Here's what I want you to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And especially if he was a Levite, you know, if he was a Levite or a priest, you know, he's being basically told to do something that they were not legally to do. They were to marry a virgin. Mm. So he's being yeah. told, you know, no, that's not what I'm having you do because you're going to have to act out. You're going to have to live out what I'm seeing and experiencing and how it breaks God's heart. Because mm-hmm. I think, you know, as, as Hosea's heart is going to be broken over and over again when she's leaving him. And then he's going and buying her back, redeeming her. I think God, you know, has that kind of a heart where it breaks for his people when he sees us turning away because he knows the cost to us. These instructions that God gives him are shocking. Like this is in what you said, even more so that he would, as a priest, as a man of faith, religion, you know, that he would be called to do this. And the links that God is going to, to demonstrate to his people, A, the severity of their sin and their turning away from him, mm-hmm. and B, his faithfulness to them in spite of that yeah. unfaithfulness that they're yeah. demonstrating. And there's something so powerful about seeing that enacted, as we just learned, mm-hmm. yes. through a person's story, through Hosea's actual story. Mm-hmm. Which I have to imagine you have thoughts about this, Francine, as as someone who's written many, many books and who is a fiction writer, just that power of story mm-hmm. to communicate spiritual truths to us. Talk to us a little bit about that. Why why is that such a powerful tool for us as people? Well, I Jesus used stories. I think stories reach into people's yeah. hearts. You know, he used the parables and the parables were really to some people weren't going to hear it. They weren't going to understand. Yeah, right. He said, up front, they're not going to get it. They're not going to understand. But it was the people that came to him and said, well, what does that mean? You know, what, what do you mean by that? What is, what is the lesson about? And then he would explain. So it kind of was a yeah. finding out who, door the opener. Ones, who had the heart, you know, for God. But I, you know, I was thinking about when I was writing 
Redeeming Love, I had a really hard time in the beginning because I thought you have to make people understand and have some compassion for Angel. So it was like, okay, I need to go back and put her in a place of why she was a prostitute, how that came to happen. And I think I wrote that first 50 pages, which are the hardest pages of the book to read yeah. about her, yeah, her story how she ended hard. up in prostitution as a child. And I thought, well, yeah. possibly Hosea, you know, if he was told, go and marry a prostitute, where would he go? He would probably go to somebody who would sell their daughter. And mm. he knew that that was what he was getting. So it's a possibility. But I also was thinking about his heart. You know, when you're told you're going to marry somebody that's going to hurt you and betray you and turn away. Mm. You know, I didn't have this with Michael, but just thinking from a human perspective, you would kind of put a little bit of a wall around you and not love the way God does. You know, God's yeah. love is a consuming fire. Yeah. You know, it's yeah. all out there. Nothing held back with God. Yes. Yeah. Amen. I mean, Isaiah, you know, you're reading that, you might see that, okay, that what the struggle must have been for a human being to try to live out an example of how much God loved Israel, the whole people, yeah. his chosen people. Yeah. And in the case of Hosea, all the way through, I mean, the enactment doesn't stop with just Hosea and Gomer. There are children. Mm -hmm. We were talking a minute ago about different translations, and this is another case where even just like hearing the children's names, there are three children yes. that are born to Gomer. In the CSB, which is our study book, the children are named Jezreel, Lo Ruhama, and Lo Ami. But in the ESV, which I also checked, it's a little bit easier because Lo Ruhama was called No Mercy. It mm. was a more clear translation. And then Lo Ami was also known as Not My People. Yeah. And so we're going to see as we kind of get through this, this little story how you ask, like, why would God want him to marry this woman of promiscuity mm. and then to have these children and name them No Mercy and yeah. Not My People? Mm. But it is all part of... God's pursuit, yeah. which you don't, it doesn't look like at the start, does it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And how and what would he have been saying to his children in raising them and telling them why yeah. they were named what they were named? Because he would have loved those yeah. children, but he was yeah. being obedient to God for the sake of his people, you know? Yes, yes. Yeah. yes. Lot, you know, you think about, okay, how does that translate in our terms today and what God calls us to do oh. in our culture? Yeah. Well, we see the why, you know, in, in chapter two, we start to get, you know, God has given Hosea these very difficult instructions. And in Hosea chapter two, I'm just going to read part of this for us. This is where God is talking about Israel. And this is starting in verse five. Yes, their mother is promiscuous. She conceived them and acted shamefully, for she thought, I will follow my lovers, the men who give me my food and water, my wool and flax, my oil and drink. Therefore, this is what I will do. I will block her way with thorns. I will enclose her with a wall so that she cannot find her paths. She will pursue her lovers, but not catch them. She will look for them, but not find them. Then she will think, I will go back to my former husband. For then it was better for me than now. She does not recognize that it is I who gave her the grain, the new wine, then the fresh oil. I lavished silver and gold on her, which they used for Baal. And it continues on, but we begin to see 
very clear pictures of God's heart Mm -hmm. for, and that passion that you spoke of, Francine, that there is both like a resolve and also a tenderness toward Israel. I've thought for a long time about that verse 6, just over the years, that line, I will block her way with thorns, I will enclose her with a wall, which you read at first blush and you think that this is something bad that's happening to her. I will stop her. I will make her not be able to do the things that she wants to do. And unless you know the character of God, you see it in that way, but Protection. but because we know the character of God, That's right. he, the, his stopping, his halting, what she sees as progress is mercy. Yeah, It is kindness. And we, in my life, I have felt like thorns have been put in my path mm-hmm. or that I have been stopped along the way. It's frustrating. And, and it's frustrating <laughs> because I think I'm pretty sure I know what is best for me, yeah. right? But um, but then to realize, yeah. oh, like to rest in the sovereignty and the goodness and the mercy of God who is in control and to see no longer these interruptions in my life as interruptions or roadblocks, but mm-hmm. to to trust that God is in control and that His, his stops are mercy. Times, you know, when you become a Christian, this was one of my experiences, you become a Christian, and I was in my late 30s, so I was stubborn and willful and all that took a long time to surrender but then you look back at your life and you can see where god was there the whole time and you just were missing you were missing what he was trying to do and every sin has a consequence you know anything that you do has a consequence and i think a lot of times that is primarily what he's trying to prevent is the heartache and the tragedy and the destruction that sin can bring into your life that's why he puts up those hedges and those thorn bushes. Yes. To keep you from feeling that kind of pain. Yeah. And there's an invitation in this book. If we turn the page and keep reading Hosea chapter 2, getting into our second reading day, in chapter 14, it says, therefore, and I'm going to back up and read verse 13 so we know what the therefore (laughs) is there for. We all love to say that. The end of verse 13 says, she put on her rings and her jewelry and followed her lovers, but she forgot me. This is the Lord's declaration. So this is Israel. This is Gomer. This is Amanda. (laughs) And, you know, like we have forgotten the Lord. And so then we get our therefore in verse 14. Therefore, I'm going to persuade her lead her to the wilderness and speak tenderly to her. There I will give her vineyards back to her and make the Valley of Achor into a gateway of hope. There she will respond as she did in the days of her youth, as in the day she came out of the land of Egypt. Mm -hmm. So we get not just a judgment for Israel's sin, but we get a way back. We get an invitation to return. And a God who says, I'm going to remind you of where we've been Mm -hmm. and where, when I brought you out of Egypt. And I want, based on that and what you know of me, there's talk of God's character in this chapter as well, that he is, you know, just and loving and compassionate and faithful. And that also echoes the Exodus, right? And so just to say, like, this is the God we're returning to, just as that foundation for us, you know, we're on the other side, we're on this side of the cross. And so we can look at what Jesus did on the cross and say, that is why I can return, 
the salvation in righteousness that's mine in Jesus is the reason that even I, in with my divided heart, can return. That's right. Yeah. I'm invited to return. Yeah. Well, I think very often when he uses the terms, you know, going to Egypt, it really talks about going yeah. back into captivity, the captivity of sin. And, yes. you know, we do that. We, I think, you know, when you become a Christian, it doesn't mean you stop sinning or stop struggling. Don't you wish? I mean, it's... I know. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> when we get to heaven, then we'll be perfect. But it's like, <laughs> you know, you look back and you can see the work that God is doing in your life. But we're never going to be yeah. perfect this side of the cross. It's the other side when we're actually in yeah. His presence. Amen. Amen. And right now we have the book of Hosea to remind us. And we get some name changes, Rachel. We do. We do. I want to read the name changes, but I want to back it up to verse 20 because I love this part. And then, Francine, I'm going to ask you your translation as well because I'm curious. So in chapter 2, starting in verse 20, it says, I will take you to be my wife in faithfulness, and you will know the Lord. On that day, I will respond. This is the Lord's declaration. I will respond to the sky, and it will respond to the earth. The earth will respond to the grain and the new wine and the fresh oil, and they will respond to Jezreel. That's the first child. I will sow her in the land for myself, and I will have compassion on Lo Ruhama. So I think in the ESV it would be, I would have mercy on that that I've called no mercy. No mercy. Yeah. And then the last verse of that says, I will say to Lo Ami, you are my people. And he will say, you are my God. What does your translation, Francine, say for verses 23 and 24? At that time, I will plant a crop of Israelites and raise them for myself. I will show love to those I called not loved. And to those I called not my people, I will say, now you are my people. And they will reply, you are our God. I will show love to those called not loved. Yeah. I will show love to those I called not loved. And to those I called not my people, I will say, now you are my people. And they will reply, you are our God. That is the gospel. That's That's what just... Yeah. Sets me on fire about this book of Hosea. Yeah, it gives I, you goosebumps. You know, every time you run yeah, into it, does. it, and you run into it in every single book in the Bible numerous times. That's of right. You see Christ yeah. in there all the way through. It's really his yes. story from beginning to end. Yes. Because at first blush, this story is immediately hard, and that's not a wrong way to feel, but you yeah. like what we know about our God is that he doesn't leave, he doesn't like plop us into heart and then walk away. Like yeah. the plan for redemption is from the beginning. Yeah. And he doubles down. I mean, yeah. he's in chapter Hosea chapter three. Then the Lord said to me, go again, show love to a woman who is loved by another man and is an adulteress, just as the Lord loves the Israelites, though they turn to other gods and love raisin cakes. That's an interesting so, detail, but we'll move on from the raisin cakes. Yeah. <laughs> I looked it up. It's raisin cakes yeah. just about everywhere. <laughs> yeah, yeah. so he goes, go again yeah. and do this again. You didn't deserve it the first time. You don't deserve it again. But go, because they're my people, and I'm redeeming mm-hmm. them. Speaking of redeeming them, the next verse says, so I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and nine mm-hmm. bushels of barley. You know I looked that up. Oh, great. That is about the equivalent of what it would cost in Exodus 21 to purchase a slave, to purchase an Israelite. 
Yeah. Rachel, I meant that was a sincere oh great. I realized after it came out of my mouth that it sounded sarcastic. Oh, it great. It sounded sincere. Okay, oh, good. No. Okay, good. <laughs> oh, great. Like, yeah. I really want to know. Yeah. Um, that's incredible. Isn't that such a yes. detail? Yes. Yes. Hey, friends, we want to take a moment to tell you about an exciting new show that's being produced by KO Films called The Covenant. The Covenant is a series that will lead us through the Old Testament stories of patriarchs and prophets, saints and sinners. It's going to depict lived experiences of characters from the Old Testament like Daniel and Esther and Abraham and Ruth. And it's going to show God's connection to these people in ancient times so that we can better see his connection to us today. And something that we are really, really excited about is that KO Films has committed to making the covenant in such a way that it is faithful to the biblical text, which you know is super important to us. This series is being crowdfunded, which means that you actually have an opportunity to help get this funded. And I think that we would all agree that we could use more shows that we can sit down with our family or our friends and watch and feel good about what we're seeing and shows that lead us toward a relationship with God. That is what The Covenant is about, helping people reconnect to God. For more information about The Covenant, visit kotv.com slash truth. That's C-A-Y-O-T-V dot com slash truth. I want to keep going in Hosea chapter 4. Okay, so we have a shift happening here in chapter 4. So we've got kind of like, here's the story that's happening in the first three chapters. And in chapter four, we kind of move from this symbolic relationship between Gomer and Hosea to collections of prophecies that are going to explain the message behind what's going on here. So most of the text from here on through the rest of the book is in the voice of God. And he's going to use lots of metaphors and just describe Israel's unfaithfulness and his judgment on mm-hmm. them, but also his love and his restoration. I so think you- about when we were we were in Deuteronomy for the last four weeks, and that word that we kept hearing and over and over was remember, right? Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. remember what we like. Remember your history. Remember my faithfulness. And it seems in many ways like the repeated word or theme in Hosea is return. Mm-hmm. That's kind of what I kept seeing over and over. And there's also a lot of remember because the Bible is one book, yeah, um, and God is one God. Return to me is a message. All that's the exactly way right. All the way through. Yeah, yeah. So. In Hosea chapter 4, we get a legal case against Israel. Yeah. And spoiler alert, they they're, li- guilty. they're, they're guilty. <laughs> and so we get chapter 4, verse 1, Hear the word of the Lord, people of Israel, for the Lord has a case against the inhabitants of the land. There is no truth, no faithful love, and no knowledge of God in the land. Cursing, lying, murder, stealing, and adultery are rampant. One act of bloodshed follows another. For this reason, the land mourns, and everyone who lives in it languishes. Along with the wild animals and the birds of the sky, even the fish of the sea disappear. But let no one dispute, let no one argue, for my case is against you, priests. You will stumble by day, the prophet will also stumble with you by night, and I will destroy your mother. 
my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge Mm -hmm. because you've rejected knowledge. I will reject you from serving as my priest. Since you have forgotten the law of your God, I will also forget your sons. I mean, I'm immediately going to Deuteronomy here. And maybe that's because we were just there. Partially, but also this is the same God. It's the same God. And so we think about what happened in the book of Deuteronomy, which is Moses saying, you're about to go into the promised land, this long-awaited gift, and I want to tell you, I can't come with you, but this is how you should live. Do not forget the Lord your God. And he re-gives the Ten Commandments and gives the law, and he's going, honor God, walk with him, do not forget. And then we see here what Amanda just read. There is no truth, no faithful love, no knowledge of God in the land. And then he lists things that sound a lot like the Ten Commandments. He says, cursing, lying, murder, stealing, and adultery are rampant. Mm -hmm. Having come just from reading Deuteronomy, it's very jarring to go, okay, so that didn't go well. Yeah. There's a verse in uh, a part of verse 12 where it says, a spirit of promiscuity leads them astray. Mm-hmm. And then another line, a few verses down in 14, people without discernment are doomed. Yeah, I, I mean, I, yeah. it's very, this is damning evidence, yeah. right? Yeah. That that yeah. they have turned away. There's words like obstinate, you're a stubborn cow. Like, I mean, the yeah. Lord is using lots of illustrations here to demonstrate this, but there is still an invitation. There is judgment because we see in this whole book, but in this chapter, we see the justice of God and the Mm -hmm. holiness of God. But look here. Look here. (laughs) In chapter 5, verse 15, I will depart and return to my place until they recognize their guilt and seek my face. They will search for me in their distress. So this is where you all are. This is your, mm-hmm. you know, the Lord is saying, like, here now is your situation. It. We had the, in, but um, he's, in preschool, our kids had the think about it chair. Yeah. So oh. This is kind of the think about it time. But you, a, you always have better names for things. So, like, the timeout chair is the think about it chair. It's just think about it chair. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. yeah he's directing some of these things to the priests because the people that are That's right. that are responsible and they're not living out, you know, they're not living out his will. And yes, it's, right. it calls yes. like, like you guys are going to be watched on a different plane and held responsible. It's a high calling to be a teacher or to be a priest to make sure yeah. that you're That's presenting good. the true That's word right. of God. Yeah. And That's how many right. of our churches have kind of gotten off the message? Or lacked the knowledge, as mm-hmm. it said here in, the knowledge. in chapter yeah. 4. And, and there's yeah. no truth. Yeah. I see people that study and study and study, and I'm thinking, well, you know, it's important to have knowledge of the Word, but really the whole purpose of learning the Word of God is to get closer to and get to know the Lord, the one speaking the Word. Mm-hmm. That's right. That's good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. right. I Speaking of having the Word in front of us, I was so grateful on day three for, you guys know, we curate Scripture, and that's sort of the benefit of being able to be in Hosea, but then to be looking at what else Scripture has to say about this. And in day three in particular, I actually was really grateful for the inclusion of Romans 2, even maybe convicted, because I'm going to read it to you guys, and then I want to talk about it for a second. Romans convicted you? What? (laughs) (laughs) So Romans 2, the verses 1 Mm -hmm. through 4, listen, the heading is God's righteous judgment. But it says, therefore, every one of you who judges is without excuse. For when you judge another, you condemn yourself, since you, the judge, do the same thing. 
Now, we know that God's judgment on those who do such things is based on the truth. Do you think any one of you who judges those who do such things yet do the same, that you will escape God's judgment? Or do you despise the riches of His kindness, restraint, and patience, not recognizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance? Okay, so I read that. And I was so grateful that it was included right here because I think that for some of us, sometimes there is the temptation to read an Old Testament book or a book like Hosea and see this indictment against Israel and sort of agree and like, you know, elbow each other and go like, oh my goodness, Israel's done it again, Mm -hmm. you know, and to just kind of sit in collective judgment of Israel's forgetfulness or Israel's unfaithfulness and what do we know about Scripture? It is for them and for then, but it is also for us and for now. And yeah. so to sit in judgment of Israel and forget to ask, and how am I guilty, right? Mm-hmm. And I think that that's what Romans 2 did for me in the day three reading. Yeah, I think that's what the book of Hosea does for me. Yeah. Is right. it, yeah. It's so convicting to see a divided heart at work <laughs> and to recognize myself in it. And that's the power of story. I well, mean, yeah. it's, just, it's, it's like when you, have, when you have difficulties in life, where do you go? You know, what do you run to? Do you run to God right. or do you run to friends that you can talk it over with or self-help books or whatever? And then the other thing is, where do you spend most of your time? Yeah. You know, if you're, if you're yeah. dedicating huge chunks of time to something other than God, then that's an idol. Yeah. Francine, there's actually a part in day five, chapter seven, verse 14, that says, They do not cry to me from their hearts, rather, they wail on their beds. And it makes me think immediately of what you just said that when we're in trouble, do mm. we turn to God? Do we cry out yeah. to him or do we wail on our beds or, you know, yeah. turn to other things? I think that's, I mean, what you said is it's right here in the book. Yeah, one of the hardest lessons I had to learn in my life was let go and let God. It's sort of a you know catchphrase, but it's really, for me, it's allow God to show you the way through it, to guide you through it, rather than trying to fix it and take care of it and control it yourself. You're describing this turning toward having that be our first response, you yeah. know, our default mode, like, mm-hmm, and then yes. what, analyzing like what things have become default modes that don't deserve that place. Well, and that, Hosea takes, chapter- that takes time and self-discipline. Uh, it's not something it does. that comes naturally because we're naturally not people of faith. That takes- That is true. And drawing closer yeah. to God and getting to know God. And it, it's a lifetime process. It's not a, I made the decision, now I'm a Christian, I can just, you know, do what I want to do. It's a, yeah. a constant retraining your mind to follow God's ways, you know, renew right. your mind, renew your mind. Yes, yes. And I'm honestly so thankful that we have this record of Israel's constant right. stubbornness yeah. and disobedience and hard-heartedness because we have context for Passages like this in Hosea 6, chapter 1, Come, let's return to the Lord, for He has torn us, and He will heal us. He has wounded us, and He will bind up our wounds. He will revive us after two days, and on the third day, He will raise us up so we can live in His presence. Let's strive to know the Lord. His appearance is as sure as the dawn. He will come to us like rain, like the spring showers that water the land. So for us to know the reality of their hearts and for us to still see this invitation to return. 
Otherwise, I think if it weren't for books like Hosea and for the way that Scripture just really addresses us so uncomfortably directly, <laughs> you know, yeah. that I don't know, I think we would disqualify ourselves. Well, but I've turned away one too many times. Have you read the Old Testament? <laughs> this, yeah. You just, it's the invitation is to return, to return, to seek yeah. God and live, as it says in the yeah. prophets. Yes. Well, the false gods always required sacrifice and required work. Yeah. And it's true of all religions except Christianity today that, you know, people tend to believe they have to earn it. So if they've turned yes. away and they want to turn back, they think, well, I've got to clean up my act. I have to. I have to go through penance before I can go before the Lord. Yeah. And that's not what he's saying. He's saying, my arms are open all the time. Just turn back to me and come back to me. And that's what I mentioned early in the podcast, that my sense of pursuit from God yeah. really came to light yes. in the book of Hosea. And that's and that's what we see. I mean, just the verses immediately following what you just read, Amanda, in chapter 6, starting in verse 4, God says, well, I'll read it, but then you'll see we're actually going to get our key verse here as well. God says, what am I going to do with you, Ephraim? What am I going to do with you, Judah? Your love is like the morning mist and like the early dew that vanishes. This is why I have used the prophets to cut them down. I have killed them with the words from my mouth. My judgment strikes like lightning. And then here's the key verse for this book. For I desire faithful love and not sacrifice, the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. Mm -hmm. This is God saying, I don't want you to come back and tell me you're going to do it better or burn a calf every time you sin. Instead, I just want faithful love. I want the knowledge of me. I want you to know me mm -hmm. the way I already intimately know you. Yeah. Yeah. Well, in the doing, you know, the do, do, doing stuff that people turn to really gives them a source of pride. Well, I earned it. I did it. So, yeah, that's right. It's all God. It all yeah. comes from God. So, it's not anything yeah. that we can do of ourselves. It's, you know, all comes from Him. Yeah. I am sad to report to you, ladies, that we don't really end yeah. our reading this week on a high note. Hosea chapter 7 and 8. I mean, it's just, it's more of this. It's more of looking at the darkness you have. I'm just going to read some random lines from it just as a sampling. <laughs> um, Israel cries, this is in chapter 8, verse 2, Israel cries out to me, my God, we know you, but Israel has rejected what is good. An enemy will pursue him. They have installed kings, but not through me. They have appointed leaders, but without my approval. They make their silver and gold into idols for themselves for their own destruction. And then he just, he rejects those. No, like I reject your yeah. your idols. Those are not for me. And then that famous verse seven, indeed, they sow the wind and reap the whirlwind. And so Utility. it just, yeah. it just keeps going. There's another line. I mean, there are so many. So many. Like poetic, specific, convicting Mic drops. lines. Because <laughs> in chapter seven, verse 16, they turn but not to what is above. So even Great. upon their conviction, yeah. even yeah. upon their finding of guilt, they may turn, but they're not turning to what is above. And I just, I read that the other day and I just thought, goodness, how guilty am I of mm -hmm. even when I do turn, am I turning to what is above? Francine, you have written so many beautiful works 
And you are, I'm going to say, an expert on (laughs) telling a really hard story, but leaving us with hope. And so I feel like so often as we're reading Scripture, and we're reading our story in the Bible, right? Like our redemption story, there are in order for the story to be complete and in order for us to understand the story, there are a lot of dark parts, just like these chapters. You know, we're not ending on an upper this week in our, in our reading as a community. We're ending in this like, oh, like this really tough spot where we're looking at our sin. One of yeah. the darkest times, yeah. like you said at the beginning of the episode. And I wonder if you could just leave us with some encouragement of just what can it look like for us as women who love the Lord and seek to know Him, for us and for our listeners to read the hard parts of the story, (laughs) just like the hard parts of Angel's story, right? But to keep our eyes fixed on the hope that is bigger than even those hardest parts of our story. So for us, that's Jesus, right? How do we acknowledge these tough parts of the story that we see illustrated throughout Scripture and that we know in our own hearts and our own lives and keep our eyes on Jesus? Yeah. Well, I don't know whether this is going to answer the question, but I'm thinking about things that happened in my life and decisions that I made. An example, in college, I had an abortion, and that haunted me for years. And when I came to Christ, it's like, okay, you're looking at all your sin, and you're realizing what you've done. But when you turn it over to God, He miraculously uses it for His good purpose, because I couldn't have written The Atonement Child without having had the experience of what I'd gone through But he showed me, you know, how to use that in story form to, you know, basically be confessing my sin, but showing what God had done with my life, even though I had sinned, how I could come alongside other people who were faced with that same, that same experience and come alongside them. And that's miraculous. He can take, he can make beauty from ashes. Your life can be completely destroyed. And yet he can raise you up and use you in ways that you never imagined uh, he could use you. So yeah, it's, it's, we, it, it, you need to know, you need to face it, you need to confess it. But when you do, you're free. Because that was also something I could never talk about, I could never share. And yet, yeah. through confession, it, there's a difference between guilt, which I think imprisons you, and conviction, which brings you to the Lord and you confess, and then He turns it into something completely different. And it's good. turns it into beauty to use to help others. That's good. He redeems it. Yeah. He redeems <laughs> it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, Francine, something else that I learned about you in my research <laughs> is that when you sit down to write a story, it typically comes from a question. And you ask an answer in that story how the world would answer that question and then how God would answer that question. Yeah. Is that correct? That's correct. Yeah. Okay. So, here are other, it's a two part question. I want to know if you can kind of tell us what was the question that you started with when you wrote Redeeming Love, but also I know you have a new book coming out called yeah. The Lady is Mine, and yeah. I want to know about both of those, like what's the question and, and maybe even what's the answer, if, if you can give it away. <laughs> yeah, well, I think the question, the question for Hosea was how far does God's you know, forgiveness extend? Yeah. And Hosea answers that. I mean, you know, it's, it's a redemption story. He can forgive anything except refusing to believe in him. That's the unforgivable sin, is just refusing to have any faith in him at all. 
that was one of the hardest books I had to write because of the beginning to kind of set the stage for uh, yeah. Gomer, Angel, uh, Sarah, and then mm-hmm. to see her going through what she had to go through. But also, I think the painful part of Redeeming Love was seeing Michael's side of it and yeah. thinking about God. Michael Hosea God. is his name. Yeah, Michael Hosea. I you know, didn't want to make any secret about where the story came from, but how much God loves us. And, you know, how his heart breaks when we just refuse to see that love and respond to that love. And then as far as The Lady's Mind, it was originally called The Disinherited. That was my working title, but it's really a BC book. I call it BC books that I wrote before Christ. And I wanted to go back and I took a look at this book and I thought there are issues that I never addressed because I didn't have the mind of Christ at that time. I didn't have that redeemed that redeemed life. So I'm looking at it from a whole different way. So I rewrote the story. And the question really is, can one person impact a community? Can one person, by the way they live and how they think, can they impact a community? And it's a story that takes place in an 1870s silver mining town. And it's a rough and ready Bodie type town, if you're familiar with Bodie in California. A very tough place with no law and order and probably, you know, 2,000 men to one woman. And she inherits inherits property there. And she's basically disinherited by her family, go and leave because she's, she's a suffragette and she's an activist of sorts at that time. And then it's how she impacts the community. The lady's mind is sort of a double meaning because the gentleman in the story takes one look at her and basically puts the word out, the lady's mind. But it's also, okay. about, ah. it's also about a silver mine and what she does with that mine. So. Wow. Okay. Yeah. And that's coming out in February. Is that right? February. Yeah, February. Is it too soon for us to pre-order it? I don't think so. I think there's... I bet I we think can find I, it. I believe it's on my website. I don't... We'll link <laughs> to it in our show notes. That's Chindale okay. Does yeah. For me, but it's, yeah, I think it can be pre-ordered. And then you also have a long-awaited, longer-than-expected-awaited feature film titled Redeeming Love. It was supposed to come out in 21, and of course, I mean, I can only imagine why it's not coming out in 21, but (laughs) uh, tell us about that. Actually, the movie was finished 24 hours ahead of the COVID shutdown worldwide. It was filmed in South Africa. The whole thing was finished 24 hours ahead. And then uh, the movie's been finished for months and we just had an agreement universal studios is going to be doing the distribution it'll be their movie okay so. that's so exciting Agreed. well and they've done an outstanding job and i i was able to write the script and then i worked with gj caruso on it because you know this has been sort of a process that's been going on for over 15 years of different companies wanting to do it but they never could come up with a script that really understood Michael, you know, they didn't get Michael. So yeah. I thought, well, I'm going to write. Isn't that interesting? Yeah, I got the uh, final draft and I thought, I'll write the script just as an example. I don't expect them to, I'm not a script writer. So I wrote the script the way I felt. I was trying to show them what I felt it should be to get Michael across. And they said, yeah. oh, well, we'll take this one. So it's like, oh, okay. <laughs> and then DJ. So now you're a screenwriter. Well, DJ, That's a big deal. he kind of, he moved things around because if you did it as a linear story, who's going to want to watch the whole beginning of what happened to the little girl? Yeah. So it's their flashbacks and that it's structured differently, but yeah, it's a very good film. Oh. They've done well, a I have job. to tell you 
that the She Reads Truth team probably unsurprisingly is made up mostly of women and we are very excited as a group (laughs) yes we're very excited and we've been so looking forward to meeting you face to face we're so thankful for your time and for joining us on the podcast and just thank you for sharing your heart for you know all those years ago back when you know even when you were just newly a believer it's just yeah. remarkable the way that god used you and that you were open enough to let that happen i just am yeah. we're just in awe of what he's done and um, continues to do. Yeah. yeah. I just have yeah. to make one little comment. When we moved into Sebastopol, where we became Christians in Sebastopol, it was the only house for rent. My husband was starting a business. And God just happened to put us between two families that went to this little church. And that's where we became Christians. Because they came wow. over and they said, welcome to the neighborhood. Have we got a church for you? And so it's, you know... Think about I mean, that. talk about the pursuit, Francine. Yeah, I mean, it's get out there and mention to your neighbors you have a good church. You know, you got a great Bible study. You know, yeah. join us. One of the ways that we are the hands and feet of Jesus is pursuing yeah. people the yeah. way that He pursued yeah. us and pursues Absolutely. us. Oh, that's beautiful. You never know. You may invite to church someone who will write a best-selling novel. <laughs> That is still continues to be uh, published in different languages 30 years later. It's just incredible. Well, thank you, Francine. Before we go, we do have one quick question to ask you. We'd spend an hour looking at Scripture and calling out the beauty and the goodness and truth that we find there in Scripture. And then we like to, at the end of our episode, ask you as our guest, what are you seeing just in your everyday life? Where are you seeing beauty, goodness, or truth that points you to Jesus? Oh, wow. Well, in our home group, but one of the experiences that I'm having is we have a vineyard. We don't drink wine, but we have a vineyard. <laughs> and oh, working, cool. you know, working in that vineyard throughout the year, because I maintain it, and then another family comes in and they take the grapes and they make wine. But just looking at just gives you a physical lesson in God and how he prunes and how he grows us up in Christ. You know, it's oh, that's beautiful. understanding yeah. that we're a work in progress. Yeah. Well, Francine, I just want to thank you for the hundredth time because I think I thanked you at least a dozen times <laughs> well, before we even hit record. But thank you for thank you for joining us and it's for been a sharing pleasure. with us. I think you've got a great study going. It's a wonderful yeah. book. It's just a wonderful book to study. Yes, it is. Well, friends listening, you know what I'm going to say right now, and that is that the She Reads Truth podcast is your encouragement and your invitation to read the book of Hosea this week. So the things that we talked about now are just here to prepare you to be a woman in the Word of God every day this week. And we will come back next week. Next Monday, Jackie Hill Perry is going to be joining us to talk about week two of the book of Hosea, and we're already very excited about that. And Francine, until next week, what do we tell our friends? Keep opening your Bible and read it. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) Amen. Thank you.